Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I am your host, Whitney Sewell. Many ways people get into the syndication business by learning to raise capital. We hear that term often, right? Raising capital or capital raising. And there's even some negative stigma behind that at times. But I tell you what, there's some great things behind being able to do that and do that well. And the biggest thing is understanding your investors, understanding how to add value to them, but then also ensuring you're doing the best by your investors, whether it's finding the right deals, providing the best returns possible, and just honoring them and their commitment to partnering with you. And so raising capital, there's so many techniques. There's so many different things to know about doing that and doing it well. It is more than a full-time business, just that part of the syndication business. So I want you to listen to these highlights today and learn from these experts. Our guest is Sal Bushimi. Thanks for being on the show, Sal. How are you, Whitney? I'm doing great. Doing great. Thanks again, Sal. You got it. So many of the listeners are learning to raise capital or they're just starting to scratch the surface. And I know you're the expert to tell us how to really get into that side of the business. But get us started in just how we find investors starting out or is how do we get started on the capital raising side of the business? I'll tell you, when I was first starting out, I was doing smaller deals, smaller, what we call special situations deals, smaller like distress deals where, you know, we, yes, I actually bought some multifamily in distress. I would always look for investors that have already have experience in the asset class. The problem is if you start going to like someone who's an accountant and he doesn't even know what real estate partnership investing is or K1s, he's going to ask his financial advisor, who's really a glorified stock salesman. And he's going to say, no, you can't do that. That's illegal. You know, you want to stick your money in the market because it's safer. Well, they're doing that because they're being padded with fees. One of the hacks I'll share with you in the audience that worked out really well, I went towards and I would target accountants and I would target accountants that did real estate partnership returns. We call them form K1s. And you know, they knew me and I would always sort of like not wine and dine them, but I meet them for like, you know, Starbucks or something like that. They're really not a really fun bunch of people to hang out with. You're not going to go to strip clubs or anything with these guys, but they're very solid. And they're also very worried about their bottom line. Okay. And one of the things about accountants is that if they trust you and you can link your brand to their credibility, you're going to do very, very well as far as their audience is concerned. So there's mail that people get and it goes in the trash. But one of the things that doesn't go in the trash are official forms from your accountant that says, hey, this is your tax information. Be careful, open it. And what I would do is I would put a letter in there. I would put one of my investor letters and, you know, cut, but it would be much more watered down with a call of action and saying, if you're interested in learning more about this, let me know. I'd send them a copy of my book. But if you don't have a book, that's fine. But really sending them to a website where they could learn some more information about it. And there you're working with people who already understand real estate. They're addicted to the returns. And you don't have to worry about holding their hand and jumping through all sorts of grenades with the wives and the spouse and the financial advisor, which will say no to anything because you're just pulling money out of his pocket. And I was able to cultivate probably about $5 million in equity from that one deal. It took me over two months to do it. But considering you know, you're working with retail investors and not institutional investors, that's like sort of like the land speed record for raising that much money. And the way we structured it was using a system I'm talking about. But you want to go to these accountants 
And the value proposition to them, when I went to them, I said, hey, I'll pay for the postage for all your K-1 <laughs> returns. And they're like, fine, sure, we'll put anything in there you want. And that is like the gateway. Wow. And so it only costs like $400. You know, I think I did maybe another slug with another guy, but I don't think I had more than $1,000 in postage for this. And I just said, here, just, you know, just send me the bill and I'll pay for it or send me, you know, I'll make sure it's taken care of or you just hand them the cash or something. And they love it because that's money in their pocket. And not only that, but you're giving them a service too. And it makes them look better because it looks as though that they're more than just Pistol Pete, the tax preparer. They're more focused on them and expanding sort of the offerings that they do for sophisticated investments that most people would not be able to get into on their own. And that's really what a lot of people are looking for today in these very low interest rate environments. That's really going above and beyond. I haven't heard anyone say anything like that, getting with the accountant and, and offering to pay for postage so you can put something in there in that envelope. Yes. It's a genius idea. And I'll tell you, you'll be hard pressed unless you're a convicted criminal two months out of prison that where an accountant is going to say no to you because their margins are not that great anyway. And they want to keep as much as they can. And if you can continue to do it where you do it on an annual basis, the more you get in front of these people, the more you're going to have, you know, the more fun you're going to have and the more capital you're going to raise. So what are some other ways possibly to find investors when starting out? Maybe we don't have that connection with the accountant. What are some other tips? It's really interesting. One of the other tricks that I've used in the past has been working with people who have been single family home flippers. <laughs> and, you know, for the smaller investors, they get burned out. They just do. They get into it, they like it, they understand it. But the problem is, is that they still have to go out there and deal with the GPs and deal with the crooks and all of that stuff. And when you start working that way, you start attracting money from people. Now, a lot of these guys, they don't understand commercial. So you're going to have, and we're commercially focused. So you're going to have to do a little handholding with that. The other thing that we've done, which is interesting, and I'm actually getting on a flight tomorrow to go somewhere, is... And it's going to take a little initiative, but what you want to do is you want to find a good self-directed IRA custodian. And there's many of them out there. I'm not going to mention any names, but you want to find out if you can market to them by doing some sort of a webinar. We actually had one of my students do that. He was able to raise about $2 million in just about a weekend. And we actually have a success story with that, Dominique. So it takes a little more going into it. I like to go to the top of the pyramid rather than trying to like befriend people. And the other one too are just basically very wealthy business owners. Out here, and I'll tell you a little story, in Vegas where we are, medical marijuana is legal, but collecting the cash on it on a federal level is not legal. And so these guys are very, very cash rich. And if you show them what to do with that cash, then they'll be with you forever. And that is a little trick you know, that I'll talk about at the capital formation intensive, but real estate is actually very friendly for cash, whereas other investments aren't because you have to fill out all these forms where it's like, know your client and anti-money laundering provisions and all that kind of stuff. All right. So we've met some investors or we've taken you know, one of these steps that you've laid out here. And now we have some people in our network. What's next? Yeah. The next step is that you want to indoctrinate them. And that's the whole point. Not everybody has a book. I usually send them a copy of the book. I write a letter and the letter, even though you don't have any experience or not, it should be something curated about why you like the investment class, why you are attracted to it, why your investors should be attracted to it, and how they would be able to partner with you on these deals and the types of returns in a range that they can expect. So the first thing people do is they show up with four pounds of paper when they meet an investor, and that turns somebody off. What you want to do is you want to build a relationship and you want to make sure they understand who you are. You're probably a good guy. They know you from golf. They know you from the church. It doesn't matter. You want to make sure you continue to build that relationship. Having that commonality is just a hook 
but it's by no means a closer, if that makes sense. So you have to make sure that you're out there and you're talking to these people, sending them articles like you would send your friends on Facebook. Keep your LinkedIn profile clean from the knuckle drackers and the toothless and homeless and the mouth breathers. You want to have just professionals in there and start using that because that kind of stuff goes viral. And you really want to make sure that you're talking to people and you keep a very consistent voice, whether it's like, hey, we like cash flow from multifamily because millennials are over leveraged and they're not going to buy a house or something. Stick with a message, but stick with it that's revolving around the asset class that you're looking to raise money for. Nice. And so even keeping a clean LinkedIn profile, that makes a difference? It makes a huge difference because people will judge you by who you associate with. It's amazing. There's so many people who actually come through and they're like, well, I have 4,000 connections on LinkedIn, but they're all crap. These are all people who have no money. So you got to think of your LinkedIn as being like your Sunday church clothes. That's the way I would you know, preface it. Whereas Facebook is like your drinking buddies, right? You don't want to link in with your drinking buddies. I use that for professional purposes. And I'm very, very choosy about who I let into my LinkedIn profile. But it goes beyond that too. You want to make sure that you're actually talking to these people and you're you know, providing some sort of content to them so that they listen to you, so that you have a voice out there and you're on top of it. Because what your competition's doing is that they're running around with a chicken with their head cut off looking for what I call sex on the first date. And if you do get it, is that really a partner you want to be with for the rest of your life? Wow. What's so funny? <laughs> <laughs> the analogy. <laughs> all these awkward like. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Next question, Whitney. Sending them articles. How are you coming up with the content to send them, other than sending them your book or things like that? Well, you don't have to have a book. There are websites out there that I like looking at, like you know, the Real Deal. There's Zero Hedge. I like. There's LobeStreet.com, and anything that sort of comes from authority figure where you can add a little bit of commentary. What I do is I say, hey, I agree with this guy except for this, this, and this, or I agree with this guy, but what he forgot is this, or I think this is a great article, this, this, and this. Two, three sentences, and then just put the link in and send it out. So we're sending them this information. You know, Keep us going. What's after that? Okay, so after that, now you're starting to talk about a deal. And usually the deals we do, we're equity allocators, which means we take our own proprietary equity and the equity that we raise, which is hard cash, some people might call it down payment money, but we don't use that word, right? I mean, we're beyond that. And we take that and we co-invest alongside other sophisticated operators who are usually family offices. So once you have something teed up like that, or maybe it's a deal for yourself, you want to start talking to your investors about this. You want to start teasing them a little bit. You want to put out what we call a one-page teaser. If AJ can switch to that right now, maybe we can have a little talk. So I have this whole template here, which we'll be talking about at the event. But it talks about everything in one page that they need to know. And this is something that comes from you, and it's very focused on the investor. Usually people will see something, and it's like a 60-page offering memorandum. It's all lies because it's coming from a broker. You know, I know I'm offending people out there. But this is, you know, what it is. And, and when it goes out like this, we set the, if you guys can see it, we put together everything that they need to understand in one sheet. Now, anything more than this, you're just absolutely drowning and suffocating your investors. And you have to imagine that these people are all reading this stuff from their mobile device. Okay, so it has to be very nice and friendly. So what we do is I actually, and I'll get into it in a second, but I put all the information here, the fees, the terms, who to contact and all that here. There's a link to a data room because nobody wants to see a bunch of numbers, right? They just want a bottom line. But if some of them are like engineers and, you know, very analysis paralysis type of people, you click to the data room. 
The other thing I put in here too as well is I did a video. Video is the most powerful medium you can use today. Our guest is John Bogdasarian. Thanks for being on the show, John. Happy to be here. Thank you. Let's talk about how you built that investor list. I know a lot of listeners are trying to get into this business. They're trying to raise capital. Or they're learning that side of the business. And let's talk about how you did that. I know you talked about direct referrals, but maybe you can give us some pointers of, you know, from the seven investors up to the three or 400 potential investors that you have now, you know, tell us about that. I'm not plugging it because it's terrible. I've got this book coming out and there's a chapter on what I call prospecting, which is a skill that I learned back in the residential arena. And I was taught this by a guy named Mike Ferry. He's a, mostly a residential real estate educator, but you can go to mikeferry.com and download his scripts and dialogues and see what he does or attend one of his events if you want to learn about this skill called prospecting, which is no more than, I used to call it dialing for dollars, whatever it may be. You, know, you have a list of people, sphere of influence. You just create a very simple script and I would just call people. I literally, I'd call all our current investors and I'd say, hey, Tim, you know, I've got four more shares left. They're $50,000 each. I'm wondering who else you might know that might consider looking at a deal like this. And I would, you know, get some names and numbers and emails. And I would, then I'd fire the people a packet and I'd call them up and I'd say, hey, Joe, you know, I got your name from Tim. He's invested with us in deals and I sent you a packet by email. Would you mind taking a look at it? I, I wondered if you'd have any interest in it and or if you have any feedback on it, you know, like your thoughts on that. And I would try and engage people in the process of, you know, what do you think of this deal? I'd, I'd like to hear about it. I love getting questions, don't want to make mistakes. So if somebody has something that they bring up on one of my deals and I can't address it or it causes me a little bit of angst and worry, then, you know, hey, maybe I don't have the greatest deal out there. And let's avoid that one or do something else. Now that doesn't happen too often anymore because, you know, I'd like to think we think of everything, but we, you know, you can't always think of everything. But after 20 plus years in the business, you don't hear a lot of new questions or things like that. It's more market concerns, things like that. But in terms of starting out and growing your database, I'd keep a list of everybody. I'd go to the doctor's office, you know, for an eye check. I've had some eye surgeries in the past and I'd say, hey, doc, I really appreciate you taking care of me. I'd like to take care of you. I don't know if you know what I do for a living, but I make rich people richer. And, you know, you have to meet the accredited investor criteria, which I know you do as a doctor. If you'd like, I'd be happy to send you a packet. Absolutely no obligation, but I certainly appreciate what you've done for me here. And I'd love to, you know, make you some money if you're interested. And so, you know, just little scripts like that, that I would kind of design. And then, so I'd get their contact info. Now I've got a doctor's email and cell phone number, which I've probably got 150 of now. And I'll tell you what, that comes in way more handy than you could possibly imagine. You know, if I feel like, oh, I've got, you know, something's bothering me in my chest. I've got 40 heart physicians at a world-class facility. I've got all their cell numbers. I can call them up and say, hey doc, I'm having this little you know, thing there. And they're like, come on in right now. Well, I'm here. And, you know, I'll get an EKG or whatever. This happened once a couple of years ago. It was nothing, but you know, it's a nice thing to have. So I'm not, I kind of treat it like I'm doing them a favor, which I think most people when they're out there looking for money are thinking they're, they're kind of like begging or asking for money. Well, I've got a pretty solid track record. I've not lost, I guess I will, you're going to ask me that. So I'll save that story about have I ever lost investor capital, but 
you know, honestly, I kind of look at it like, what the heck are you going to do with your money? I mean, nobody really knows what to do with their money. I have the trouble with it myself. So I put it in all my own deals because I understand them or think I do. And so I think I'm doing people kind of a favor, but I try not to present it that way either. You have to be careful about that as well, because, you know, if you're appreciative and you're going to go a lot further and to be honest with you, I am primarily because I can't do anything without their capital. So them trusting me and placing their capital with me, you know, is very important. So try and balance those two things, but that's how I'd say I basically got to this point. Now we have an investor relations department and I don't get to have quite as many conversations with new investors. I still try to at least once a week just because I love it. And I like talking to people and learning about what they do. And my network of people is the most powerful thing I have. It's the best. It's my biggest asset. What are some other ways you're increasing your network right now that maybe some of us could apply to our business? You know, I've really deviated and come to the conclusion that I'm a lot better crafting the deal and talking to the investors and handling the books and the accounting and the money portion of this business than I am at going to township meetings, planning commission meetings, working with architects. Those issues frustrate me to no end. I've, I've gone through that enough to know what it is to appreciate someone who's doing that on a project and to know that they should get paid some type of developer fees and things along the way. But primarily now what we've done is we've shifted our business to being the money behind it. And so what happens is, is a young sponsor, maybe starting out, um, someone wants to be a developer, maybe even someone more sophisticated. We're now looking at huge projects we've done, uh, 100 million plus, where People are looking at this GPLP structure and they're looking for an LP and we write them a proposal and say, hey, why would you do it this way? You know, we could structure it this way, uh, you know, our way. And not only would you end up with more money, but, you know, you don't have to deal with any of this LP, GP stuff. And so we've kind of morphed into just the money side and trying to grow that way. I always tell people, look, if you have a great deal and you really believe in it, you know, the money's not really going to be the issue. People think it is, but it really isn't. If you just make some calls and work at it, you know, you can build your own database of investors, but you can also go to one of the, you know, hundreds of capital source companies out there and they have connections to people like me, to family offices, to, you know, institutional money. If you want to go that route, we don't do that, but we don't do anything public or institutional just from the standpoint of not wanting to jump through the hurdles there and it's a lot easier to just work privately. So what are some questions from investors that we, you know, this person just getting into the business, what are some questions they need to definitely be prepared to answer? Interestingly enough, this book I've got coming out is designed for accredited investors to teach them how to find people to invest with. And I think it'd be good for deal sponsors, especially people who are starting out who want to become syndicators to read from the standpoint of this is what investors should be asking you, but this is oftentimes what they're not asking you. So most of the time, like I like to say I have, well, they're all accredited investors, but there are smart investors and not so smart investors. We have both in our deals for sure. The ones that I've found that are more intelligent outside of what they're investing in with us, because I ask them, what other things are you looking at? What other things are you doing? I mean, I'm always asking questions. That's the only way I learn is by doing. So what I found is that the smarter investors will ask more questions about me as a person 
about how I structure deals, what my philosophy is, where I come from, background, why I do what I do, and where my motivation lies in this process. What can go wrong? What's the downside? These are the questions they will ask. The, I wouldn't say not smart investors, but I think sometimes some of the investors who are very smart people, but they're not as savvy in this arena, will spend a lot more time on the deal itself. And what I like to tell people is, I don't care how good your deal is. You're going to run into things. You're going to run into unforeseen things. You're going to run into problems. It's going to be a pain. How are you going to see this through? What's your experience? What's the glue that's going to keep you attached to the deal? The person running the deal is far more important than the deal itself. That's what I tell people hands down. We hope that you have enjoyed the highlight show today. You can always listen to the full episodes that were featured today by clicking the links in the show notes page in the, in the description box. Let us know in the comments what you thought of this episode, or you can go to lifebridgecapital.com forward slash podcast and click the feedback button. Let us know how we can add more value to you. Thank you and talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.